Well, I gotta say good morning, everybody in the room, in the house, everybody online. It's good to have all you across all of the states. I won't list them this week. I listed like 20 states last week. So we're good to, it's good to have all of you guys with us too, joining us. I wanna start with a little multiple choice for everybody, all right? If you would consider yourself a Christian in this room, what would you choose out of these three things? Number one, you take a morning, you go help at a homeless shelter, bring some food, bring some necessities and goods. You get to do that. Number two, you get to go to another worship night where you sing until you lose your voice and you go deaf, all right, from the music. Or number three, go to downtown Denver right now and start talking to strangers about Jesus. <laughs> okay, I actually heard a guy say number three. You're ruining my whole illustration here, man. But I, here's what I'm willing to guess. For a lot of people in this room, your worst nightmare is number three. You're like, I can't, my hands are already sweating right now, Brian, even thinking about having to do it, except for the one lone ranger out here who's like, yes, let's do it. Now, for anybody in here that's not a Christian yet, we're praying about it, but let me give you multiple choice. You can have somebody come and talk to you about an awesome new restaurant in the area and tell you all the details that you gotta try, or someone come and talk to you about a new movie that you gotta see and the details of that, or somebody come and talk to you about Jesus and their religion. I'm willing to guess you'd much rather hear about the food and the movies than somebody pushing their faith on you. I'm, I'm willing to guess. And here's the interesting dynamic. All of us in here, even if you're a Christian, you believe Jesus is God. You believe he's the most important thing in your life. You cringe at the idea of having to talk about him with some people. Like it terrifies you. And then on the other side, Maybe you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person. The last thing you want people to talk to you about is about Jesus and religion. You don't want them pushing that stuff on you. Now we're starting today a new series we're simply calling Go. And the whole premise of the series is actually based off of a command that Jesus gives us. Sometimes we call this the Great Commission, where Jesus simply says, Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now we have a rally cry from Jesus himself. He's saying, I want my followers to go and make more followers, disciples, Christians. My hope is the next couple weeks, we can redeem this whole idea of what it means to go. That this isn't about the terror and fear of talking to people about Jesus. This isn't even about threats. Anybody ever hear that line? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? I'm hoping we all get a fresh vision for what it really means to go out into the places and spaces God calls us to and experience him using us in supernatural, powerful, life-changing ways. Now, I gotta be a little honest, let you guys peek behind the curtain. The timing of this is a little bit intentional because this is a big week for a lot of people. A lot of going back to school, getting into routines. Even if you don't have kids or you're not in that season of life, so many of our calendars are driven by the school year. All right, so we're all getting back to, from vacation. We're getting into routines. Some of us, we're gonna be seeing the same people week in and week out, whether it be at work or school activities or all of the different things. And here's what my hope would be, that through this series, we would see that this fall is not just gonna be a list of full calendars and responsibilities that we just need to survive through, but that we actually have some supernatural opportunities for God to use us with the people that he's placed in our lives. That's my prayer. So today... I'm gonna set some foundation. I'm gonna lay some of the groundwork. I wanna talk about getting in position today to go. 
And there's three things I think all of us need to collectively do if you really want to be in a place for God to use you in powerful ways. All right? So you note takers are going to love me today. Three points, right straightforward, right? You're welcome for all the type A folks in the room. But the first thing we're going to look at, all of us need to change our point of view. Change your point of view. Now, we're going to be sitting in Matthew 9 today. If any of you guys want to follow along, I'm going to be in verse 36. This will be our foundational passage for today. This is Jesus. At one point in his ministry, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is a fascinating line to me. Because we're not just getting insight into something Jesus did or some miracles, which are all very impressive. We are actually getting a glimpse into the very emotional state of Jesus himself. And it says that Jesus is experiencing compassion right here. There is a deep sense of empathy. His heart is actually going out to some people. This is so important for you to catch. I am certain that a lot of us in this room, one of our big struggles with God is we feel like he's just a little distant. He's a little cold. He's a little aloof. He doesn't really have his head in the game. And yet right here, we see Jesus is emotionally impacted by the encounters he's having with people. How do you feel about people? What's your attitude towards the people you encounter in your daily life? I actually feel like we have a little bit of a compassion crisis in our culture today. Because sometimes it kind of feels like people's attitudes towards others ranges basically from cold and indifferent to downright hateful. I actually want to institute a law. I think this is a great idea, all right? So we're going to push for this legislation. I would love to, by law, whatever you post online and say about somebody, you then have to go say to their face. <laughs> and be like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it'd be very entertaining. Maybe televise it too. That'd be really fun. But what's interesting about this is... We have a little circle sometimes of family and friends that our hearts go out to, but that space seems to be getting more and more limited. And what's fascinating about this is there was actually a study published that tracked the compassion and empathy levels of people over decades. It started in 1979. What this study looked at from 1979 to 2009, they noticed that our experiences with technology and the 24-7 news cycle and a lot of different factors started to affect the ways we actually feel about other people. And so they found that in 2009, the average person is far less compassionate and empathetic than a person from 1979. We actually have an empathy deficit in our world today. We actually care less for people today than we did a couple decades ago. Think about that. Now, the reason why this is so critically important is Paul is another writer in the New Testament. He starts to get in some Christian's face a little bit through a letter. And he's starting to tell them, if you really have a genuine experience with Jesus, if you have a real encounter with the living God, it, by definition, should have an impact on how you view and relate to people. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, has anybody ever heard of the show um, Undercover Boss? You guys ever hear this show before? All right. Now, it's an interesting concept because the president or CEO of a company, sometimes these are like large businesses, goes down and pretends to be an entry-level employee in their own company. 
And so then they're getting trained by the people who are like 10 layers below them. And it's hilarious sometimes because sometimes these employees are treating the head of the whole company like a verbal punching bag. It makes for great TV, by the way. It's very entertaining. And here's the thing. They don't realize at all what's really going on. They don't have the right perspective on any level. And Paul right here talks about a worldly point of view. He's talking about the fact that every single one of us have human and shallow standards for how we determine the value of another person. Think about it. What do you notice when you first meet somebody? Notice a little bit about the appearance, maybe. Make some notes about their clothes. Maybe if you see some other parts of their life, you check out maybe the car they're driving, the house they live in. You learn what job they have. You start calculating what salary they might be making and all the things. We have measures for how we determine the value of people. We put all these data points together. Now, here's where this gets really dangerous. This often begins to influence our spiritual value we place on people as well. So Nicole and I lived in Indiana for five years. God saved us out of that horrible mess um, called Indiana. I'm sorry for anybody in Indiana. We love you, but five years is plenty of time in Indiana. <laughs> and so the time we were there, though, Nicole and I were actually leading a congregation in the center of downtown Indianapolis. All right, so we're doing ur urban church stuff. Now, the interesting thing about city church life is you have the widest spectrum of people you could possibly imagine, all right, when you're doing city stuff. And so at one point in our ministry here, Nicole and I developed a friendship which, with probably the wealthiest people we have ever had a close relationship with, just probably you could easily say that, this family was set. Let me just say that. You know, successful business, good-looking family, everything's going really well. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. My attitude towards these people was, well, geez, they got it all. Like, like if they got Jesus, he's just the cherry on top of this mountain of awesomeness that is their life. Truly, that was my attitude. Now, at the same time, when Nicole and I were doing this thing downtown, I developed a relationship with a homeless guy. You know what my thought was about this guy? Dang, he needs Jesus. Like, on every level. This guy is in a desperate situation. And it, my attitude and responses to these people shifted so much based on how I was interpreting their situation and their need. You know what you call that? A worldly point of view. Not seeing with the eyes of Jesus. Because from Jesus' point of view, both of those guys were in desperate situations. They were in dire spiritual need. When Jesus looks at these people, it says his heart went out to him. He had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at him and he sees through all the shallow stuff. And he realizes these are people who are wandering through life aimlessly when it comes to spirituality. They don't know the truth. They don't have God truly inside and relating in their lives. And he was using the right lens. Now, C.S. Lewis, he was the famous writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. He has a really interesting quote that I think relates so well to this whole idea. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about this. Every single person you encounter has a spark of the divine in them. The Bible says they are made in the very image of God. You know what that means? Every person you encounter 
has eternal value. You can't just disregard or ignore somebody based on how you view them. On the same level, every single person you come into contact with is going to live forever. We have eternal DNA baked right into us. Whenever you encounter somebody, you're not just encountering some undercover boss. You are literally coming into contact with a precious creation of God. And what Paul is saying, he's saying you need a new point of view about the people you come into contact with in your everyday life. You need to change the lenses you are using to determine the value of another person. Because every single person has eternity inside of them. They have infinite God-given value. And yet, even with that being said, every single person has a desperate need. Every single person is in a dire spiritual situation without God. That they need the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. They need the help and strength of the Holy Spirit in their life. They need a shepherd for their soul. And this is the thing, when you start to cultivate this point of view, a natural byproduct and outcome of it every single time will be genuine compassion for other people. That's how you know this is starting to work. So who in your life do you have a wrong point of view about? Who doesn't measure up to your standards for what makes a valuable human being? Who have you written off? Got some family members you've just kind of given up on? Got those neighbors where you're like, you know what? It's better just to avoid them. You know, let's close the garage when we get home. Anybody in the church? Maybe you've written off. How about a politician? Is that a little, did I go too far there? Did I cross the line? Did I cross the line? <laughs> I felt that a little bit like, oh. what you got to understand. From God's point of view, this has nothing to do with physical appearance, net worth, politics, personality. If you are going to be somebody that God is going to use to go, you have to change your point of view of how you view people and determine their value. And every single one of us needs to see with the eyes of Jesus and have a heart of compassion that goes out to every single person we encounter in our life. Change your point of view, all right? But there's some other stuff we gotta do to get in position here. You gotta recognize the opportunity. Now let's go back to Matthew. Jesus has this heart pouring out with compassion and he picks it up right at that moment. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, when Nicole and I started dating, she introduced me to a whole concept I never even knew existed. Apple orchards. Anybody ever hear this stuff before? This ridiculousness? She was trying to explain to me. She said, here's the thing. We go and we pay money and then we pick the apples. And I'm like, what kind of scam is this? I'm paying this guy to pick his food off the trees? And so, of course, being the dutiful boyfriend, plus I wanted to get married, which it all worked out, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. I had to go to this apple orchard with my then-girlfriend at the time. And so we're going around, and we show up to this apple orchard, and I'm not going to lie. It was like the light of heaven descended on these apple trees. 
as I saw all these juicy, ripe apples just waiting to be picked. People, they had McIntosh, Empire, not the nasty, red, delicious apples, because who wants to eat those ones? Honeycrisp. I mean, it was this beautiful oasis of apples. And you just get to go pick all of the apples you want. And then you spend the next three months of your life only eating apple-related dishes. It's amazing. And so now for our family, this is a sacred, bigger tradition. I'm like, I will pay any amount of money to go pick apples at some guy's property. It's amazing. And this is the thing about a harvest. There ain't nothing like a good harvest, everybody. You got ripe, juicy, low-hanging fruit, just easy pickings. And Jesus is saying, you got to look, the harvest is plentiful. He's using farming language to talk about the spiritual opportunity we have. He's like, there are tons of people just waiting to be picked, to be brought into the family of God, to have their lives transformed. There's no shortage of opportunity. We don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker problem. I love the timing of this. Jesus says the workers are few. The perfect timing for the current labor shortage we're in. Anybody know experiencing this on any level right now? If I talk to anyone who runs a business, is looking for employees, they're like, Brian, I can't offer enough money to get these people to even show up for an interview. I mean, we're trying to add all these perks. Where are all the employees? I can't get them to show up. You look at healthcare, we don't got enough nurses or healthcare workers. Education, we don't got enough teachers. Has anybody tried flying recently? My goodness, it's the worst experience ever. Not enough pilots. Where's all the workers? We got a labor shortage going on in our world right now. And at this very moment, I think you can make an argument that it is one of the hardest times to be a worker for Jesus right now too. Now, let me make my case. We are living in what is now being called a post-Christian context. So what that means is our culture more and more is viewing Christianity as just an unnecessary part of human life. So we don't need God. We don't need Jesus. We don't need churches. This doesn't have to be a part of the human experience. And if you are a Christian and you try to push your views on somebody, you are a judgmental, closed-minded bigot. And actually it gets a little bit more complicated there too because now religious organizations and institutions— we are viewed with a lot of distrust and skepticism. And honestly, some of that is justified. I will own that for sure. But the attitude of most people is, why would I go to some church to listen to some guy yell at me for 30 minutes from a book that was written 2,000 years ago? That doesn't sound like that's going to help my spiritual journey a whole lot. Now, there's a whole other level to this too. Because for a lot of us in this room, we're old enough to remember a day when Christians were actually viewed as kind of good members of society. Like people actually were happy about having Christians around. It's like, okay, I don't really believe what they believe, but they care about the poor. They're kind of moral good do-dooters. They have values. But now, if you're a Christian, you're a minority now. You're fringe in some people's eyes. You're radically fringe in some other people's eyes. There's actually... A guy named Edward Robinson, he's an academic psychologist. He wrote an article that ended up going pretty viral on the internet, and it's called Christianity is Not an Option. This is what he says in his article. To be a Christian these days is a political statement, a statement that my conscience can no longer tolerate. Christianity in the 21st century has come to represent arrogance, ignorance, 
bigotry, misogyny, child abuse, economic inequality, hypocrisy, and war. I just can't do it anymore. That sentiment is felt by a lot of people in our culture today. And it's not even just the attitude outside the church. There's actually shifting attitudes inside the church too. So Barna is this large Christian research organization. They did a study just a few years ago on the religious attitudes of millennials. So let's just say 25 to 45-ish age range. And here's what they found. 47% of Christian millennials believe it is at least somewhat wrong to share your faith with someone of another religion in hopes that they come to share your faith. So, so understand this. Half of my generation thinks it's wrong to share your faith with somebody. Now, some of that I can understand. I think there's some reaction to some of the unhealthy pressure and threats and gimmicks and dynamics that sometimes Christians have brought. But hear me, everybody. We have a Christian labor crisis in the church. We have a lot of people who profess to follow Jesus and yet are not willing to go out into the fields and work. We've got a lot of consumers, not a lot of laborers. Got a lot of attenders, not a lot of workers. There's another moment in Jesus' ministry that's related exactly to this idea. John 4, 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, I got to talk to the Coloradans now, right? So it's all about the Coloradans room. I know some of you guys in other states, you're going to have to apply it to your context. I'm sorry. This is just for the homies right now, okay? So some of you guys may not know, we live in what's considered one of the least Christian unchurched states in the country. Congratulations, all right? <laughs> it's just the reality. Now, if you grew up in the Midwest or the South, moving here can actually feel a little bit like a culture shock. Because it's like, oh man, nobody goes to church here. Like, nobody cares. I don't know what your neighborhood is like. Nicole and I are the only ones who are driving out of our driveway on Sunday morning. Like, truly. I mean, it's just dead. Ain't nobody doing anything except cutting their grass on Sunday morning. Strange. And I love hearing commentary from the natives and the longtime Coloradans. I, I love the natives. I don't pretend to be one, all right? I don't play one on TV. I am just a normal transplant who drove the house prices up like everybody else. Okay? So it's funny, though, to hear the Colorado commentary because, you know, you'll hear like, oh, geez, the house prices. I hate this. Oh, my goodness. Like the traffic. I don't even want to be on I-25 anymore. Those weirdos in Boulder. Who are all those weirdos in Boulder right now? And why is all of California moving to my state? What if that's exactly why God has you here? Oh, yeah, you, you better say auto. What a privilege that God would call you to a hard place. What an honor that he think you would be worthy to be strategically placed for his kingdom purposes for one of the greatest harvests maybe we have ever seen. What if God has positioned you and this church for a revival and a move that can completely change the fabric of this state and this country forever. Maybe all of the challenges 
of Colorado are not a sign to retreat, but the very confirmation that we are supposed to go. Nicole and I went on this kind of introspective journey a couple years ago, and we came both to the same conclusion. We feel a call from God to live in a hard place. Like Nicole and I actually share that conviction. We believe it is God's call on our life to live in a hard place. Now, nothing against Alabama or Texas. I'm sure it's great. I know the housing's cheaper. That's just not what God has for us. I'm wondering if some of us in this room need to ask God if that's your call too. God, have you called me to commit myself to a place that has such desperate spiritual need so I can maximize my impact for your kingdom purposes? Open your eyes. Do you see the opportunity that is right in front of you? Do you see all the ways God can use your life? What do you see when you go to work? Just a bunch of annoying coworkers that you have to tolerate and put up with? Or do you just see an orchard overflowing with easy pickings for the kingdom? What do you honestly see with your neighbors? bunch of people to avoid and just kind of be kind to, but not go very deep with? Or do you just see a harvest right in front of you? Just waiting for workers. All of us in here, this fall, you're going to be around families. You're going to be around neighbors. You have coworkers. God is strategically placing you in the fields and he's waiting for you to get to work. And some of us, you just got to open your eyes. You got to stop seeing all of the challenges and you need to start looking at the harvest. I'm telling you, Northern Hills, it's time to go. That's the call. Can we just start clapping now? There's some good spots to clap in church. It's okay to clap and get excited. It's time to go. We got work to do. Recognize this opportunity you have. What an honor that God has placed us here at this time, at this moment for his harvest. But we got one other thing we got to do to get in position, everybody. And this last thing, we need to consider the stakes. Consider the stakes. Now, I know we got some poker fans in the house. I know some of the, some of the people are into that whole thing. I know maybe some of you guys are familiar with the whole World Series of Poker. Now, this is like the big leagues of the poker world. Now, it blows my mind because you get to this final table and you have all these people sitting here with millions and millions of dollars on the line, and they got two cards in their hand. And you have that magical moment when you just see them with all their chips and they're just like, all in. Now here's the thing. I know your poker game with the buddies on Saturday night is high stakes. That's high stakes. <laughs> That's another level of high stakes. Now think about your life. Navigating a career, trying to figure out a marriage, trying to figure out a divorce, trying to handle kids, losing a job, losing a loved one, unexpected health emergencies, all the other events in life. Everybody, the rewards of life can be so great and yet the losses can be devastating. You guys need to hear me today. Life is a high stakes game. We are all in. Every single person in this room and online, you are all in. This is not a dry run. This ain't practice. You are playing with high stakes right now.
And here's the thing. When it comes to our spiritual life, we are playing the highest possible stakes. We're playing with souls. We're playing with eternity. Now, I mentioned Paul earlier. He's this writer of the New Testament. He writes to a church in a city at one point in the first century, and he's trying to help them understand that history is moving in a direction, that this is all going somewhere, that there is an end game to what we are all involved in right now. And this is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. I really wish that wasn't in the Bible. I get no pleasure reading that. These are not the verses you read in the Bible to grow a church, by the way. Nobody in their right mind wants that to be a reality. And when we read stuff like that, that's when a lot of us think, well, geez, okay, Brian, this book was written 2,000 years ago. What does Paul really know? Like, he's some cranky old guy. Why should I trust him for what apparently is going to happen in the next life? Well, Jesus, at one point in his ministry, Matthew 25, 46, talking about the end game, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You have to understand, we don't cease to exist when we die. There is another life after this one, and every single one of us is heading full speed straight toward eternity, and the stakes are infinitely high. This is why some of you guys in this room, I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, Brian, this is why I'm not a Christian. And this is why I never will be. How could I possibly believe in a God that would allow that? How could you possibly say a loving God would even create a situation where that's a possibility? And hear me today. I absolutely 100% understand that sentiment. I absolutely know where you're coming from. I know why you would feel that way. And honestly, you should on some level. But you need the full picture. You must understand the heart of God. 2 Peter 3, 9, talking about God, he is patient with you. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hear me today. God's heart is bleeding with compassion. He doesn't want a single person to be separated from him. He wants every single person to have an overwhelming experience of his grace, his love, his forgiveness, and eternal life. That's his heart. Now go back to C.S. Lewis. This is a really mind-turning quote when you think about it around this idea. He says, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. And when you really think about it, God doesn't reject anybody. His arms are wide open. We reject him. We're the ones who turn away. We're the ones who dismiss God. It's not him. 
you want to see how far God was willing to go? He went as far as he possibly could for you. This is probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God was so compelled by love that he would stop at nothing to go for you. Jesus came and perished on your behalf. You got to understand this story. Jesus went to the cross for you. He perished for you. He took all the judgment punishment that we deserved. And now through his resurrection, opened up the doors to what is now called eternal life. The gift God offers as a free gift of grace, freedom from sin, hope for eternity. We did this baptism bash a couple weeks ago. So all these people get baptized. It was awesome. There was a woman who came up to me right after the service and she's, she's crying, super emotional. She's like, Brian, I can't be baptized. I'm like, well, why not? She's like, I have messed up so much. I could never measure up. I don't deserve it. There's still so much going on in my life. I am an absolute mess. I could never deserve to be baptized. And me being the loving, patient, kind pastor that I am, I said, you are absolutely right. I said, you can't. I said, it's so much worse than you know. I said, you don't even know the half of it. You are so unworthy. Your sin is so heinous. But I said, that is why this is good news. I said, Jesus washes away your sin. He sets you free. He wants to lift you up in his grace. I said, that's what he wants to do in your life. You are a precious daughter of the most high God. So I just looked right there. I said, have you trusted Jesus to forgive your sin? Do you really believe he's real and alive? Do you want to be part of your life? She's like, yes. I said, then you need to get baptized. He wants to set you free. He wants to celebrate you today. And guess what, everybody? She got baptized two weeks ago. It was an awesome celebration. This is the gospel. God decided to go for you. He went to the cross for you. He died for you and through his resurrection, he has opened the doors so not a single person has to perish and simply by believing, he gives you the free gift of eternal life, which is beyond anything you could ever imagine or hope for, a free gift from God. I have a question for you today. Have you believed? Have you put your full faith in Jesus? Have you really trusted him with everything? I really want to encourage you, if you have not done that, I highly recommend Jesus. You can do that today. You can place your faith in him. You can be free. The weight can be lifted. You can step into the purpose of God for you and you can look forward to eternal life. That's what God has for you. Now hear me, everybody. This whole talk about going and going out, reaching people for Jesus, sharing his love, having a heart of compassion. You have to understand this has nothing to do with fear tactics. This has nothing to do with manipulation. This has nothing to do with pushing our beliefs. This has everything to do with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. 
It's the love of God. It's the compassion of God. It's the fact that God decided to go for us that we then decide to go for others. It's the love of God flowing in and through our lives. This is why we go, everybody. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk all about the tips and the tricks and the principles to help you feel really confident in living into the call of God on your life. But my hope today, really, I have just one thing I want to do. I just wanted to stir our hearts. Just really help us start to feel this compassion again for people. To really start using some new lenses. To see even the opportunity to see your life differently and what God's put before you and ultimately to really appreciate the stakes we're playing with. And I have one tool that I'm asking everybody in our church to do because I really believe God's going to move through this. One tool to help stir our hearts over these weeks. You should have seen a little card on a seat nearby when you came in. You can grab that right now. And if you can't find one nearby, we have plenty out at the welcome desk you can grab on your way out. It's a very simple card. It's got a scripture on it in three little boxes. Here's what I'm asking all of us to do today. I'm asking you to think of three people in your life that do not currently know the grace, love, and goodness of Jesus. They have not yet had that experience. And I'm asking you to put their names on this card. And then what I'm asking you not to do is throw this card away or lose it. I want you to put this card somewhere where you're going to see it every single day. So put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Put it in your closet where you get ready in the morning. Put it on the dashboard of your card somewhere where just as you're getting ready and going about your life, you're going to see this card. And every time your eyes just catch it, I'm going to ask you to take a moment just to pray over those people. And this could be so quick, everybody. You just see those names and say, God, I pray for them right now. I pray that they would have an encounter with you, that they really have an experience of Jesus. Give me opportunities, open my eyes, change my heart towards them. Give me a heart of compassion towards their situation. Let me understand the game we're playing at the stakes. That can be half a second just at the top of your head. Maybe some days you'll take some more time, but here's what I guarantee will happen if you will do this. Every time you see that card, you do a quick prayer. God is gonna start stirring your heart. He's going to soften you towards the people in your life. He's going to open your eyes to the opportunities he's placing you in. And I believe, I know, he's going to start working miracles. You're going to see him move in ways. You're going to see him use you in ways you never expected. You're going to see some of those names on that card have their entire eternities transformed because you decided to start praying. And I'm telling you, if we will all do this as a church, I can only imagine the work of God that is going to happen this fall. We are going to see a harvest that is ripe, and we are going to be workers going in there just getting easy pickings for the kingdom. So I'm asking you, take this seriously. Let's go, Northern Hills. It's time to go. Is anybody with me as we move forward on this and trust God to do a work? Will you all pray with me? Lord, we are just in awe that we have a God who decided to go for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Lord, thank you so much for your heart 
you don't want to see anybody perish. You want everyone to experience your grace and your love by faith. For those of us who have had that experience, we just thank you, Lord. We pray that you continue to cultivate it in our hearts. Give us the compassion that you have for people. Open up our eyes to the opportunities in front of us, Lord, and help us just carry that weight of responsibility knowing the stakes we're dealing with. And if you are someone who has not fully placed your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to believe. That's all Jesus says you need to do, believe on him. And right now, just in your heart and in your mind, you can say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. Forgive me of my sin, save me, set me free. I want everything you have for me. And Lord, I pray right now for everyone reaching out to you that they would just have an experience of your presence, your reality, that they would know there's a living God who knows them and is now working in their life. I lift them up to you right now. And Lord, for our entire church, I pray we would be a church that goes with courage and boldness, bringing your love and power into every corner of this wonderful state we call Colorado, Lord. Thank you for the honor of a call to a hard place, Lord. Help us now be faithful with this harvest field you have placed us in. And Lord, I pray for an outpouring of miracles, of your favor and your power for every name written on a card as we go through this series. I pray you do a work, God. We have family members, we have friends, we have coworkers on these cards. We want to see you do a work. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Let me hear it, everybody. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.